This murderer was certainly not a normal man. He was a willful and cold-blooded killer. Those words were printed in the days following the hanging of a Louisiana man who would become known as one of America's earliest serial killers. Eusebe Vidrine murdered five men in Evangeline Parish in the early 20th century. At that time, folks weren't familiar with the serial killer term. But when you hear Eusebe's story, you understand why the label fits the man. The killer, who was so focused on his image and final words that when sentenced to death, he asked for and was granted time to write his memoirs before he was executed for his crimes. Welcome to Southern Mysteries, exploring history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard, and this is the story of the serial killer, Eusebe Vadrine. Eusebe Vadrine was born in the quiet town of Ville Platte in Evangeline Parish, Louisiana, on July 12, 1898. He was known as a hardworking and well-behaved young man who never displayed violent tendencies. His 1918 World War I draft registration card described 20-year-old Eusebe as a tall, medium-built man with blue eyes and light brown hair. And photos of Eusebe show a dashing young man. His wife, Lillian, and the few who were close to Eusebe in his early 20s said something seemed to shift in him. He was described as increasingly emotional, with dark moods, and fits of weeping for days. At the age of 23, his inner darkness turned to outward violence and murder. Evangeline Parish farmer Pierre Vidrine, who shared the same last name but was not related to Eusebe, mentioned to fellow farmers that several hogs had been stolen from his farm. Now, Pierre claimed Eusebe had been seen around the place on the days the hogs went missing. When word of this got back to Eusebe, he became unbalanced. It seemed the men had been at odds in the past with Eusebe killing Pierre's dog that killed one of Eusebe's sheep. Eusebe knew Pierre was spreading rumors about him to get revenge, and he was enraged at first. But that anger was followed by several days of lows, with Eusebe inside his home weeping. Three days later, April 25, 1921, Eusebe emerged from his home, once again enraged and carrying a loaded 12-gauge shotgun. Eusebe headed straight for Pierre Vadrine's field, where he was plowing. Eusebe hid behind a tree and waited until the 70-year-old farmer was plowing a row near him. Eusebe raised his gun, aimed, and fired both barrels. Pierre Vadrine was nearly torn in two by that blast and died in his field as Eusebe ran home and hit his gun. When the farmer's body was discovered, the local sheriff rounded up a posse, including Eusebe Vadrine, to hunt for the killer. Eusebe aroused suspicion when he mentioned details about the murder that fellow members of the posse didn't know. Vadrine was arrested and tried for the murder of Pierre, but was not convicted. 
Uzay was calm and maintained his innocence, and the jury believed his story. He was set free with a formal apology from the judge and jurors for the injustice of his arrest. Uzeb remained in Evangeline Parish for a few months, but found it hard to focus on his farm, and eventually his crops failed, and he lost everything. He and his wife Lillian went their separate ways to find work, with Uzeb heading to Lafayette, Louisiana. Just outside of Lafayette, on December 2nd, Uzeb met his next victim. He was on foot when Charles Garbo pulled over and asked where he was headed. Uzabe answered he was headed to Kaplan, Louisiana, and Garbo offered to give him a ride. A few miles into that drive, Garbo pulled over to check one of his tires. It was late in the evening, no one was around, and Uzabe Vadreen felt the urge to kill again. He pulled a 32 caliber pistol from his coat, and as Garbo leaned down to check his tire, Uzabe put the gun to Charles Garbo's head and fired once. Uzabe took the $4 Garbo had in his pocket and then loaded Garbo's lifeless body into the back seat of the car. Uzabe drove the car a few miles down the road and then pushed it into a ditch, abandoned the vehicle and the body of the man who had died while trying to help a stranger, and Uzabe walked to the train station in Lafayette. The next morning, December 3rd, Uzabe met another man who was willing to show kindness to a stranger. Uzabe had planned to take a train to get out of Lafayette, but his overwhelming need to kill overtook him at the train station when he met John Roy. Uzabe mentioned he was short train fare, and Mr. Roy offered to give Uzabe a ride as he was heading to Eunice, Louisiana. And the men chatted for a while, and one mile outside of Eunice, Uzabe Vadreen asked Mr. Roy if he'd like to pull over so the two could smoke a cigarette. Mr. Roy lit a cigarette as the men stood on the side of the road, and within minutes of that stop, Uzabe pulled his pistol from his coat and shot John Roy in the head. He took the one nickel and cheap watch Mr. Roy had in his pocket and walked to the Eunice train station. Uzay Vadreen planned to go to Alexandria next, but only had the train fare to make it to Pine Prairie, where he remained for four days, spending time with his father-in-law, who lived in the town, and had no idea his son-in-law was on a killing spree. When Uzay Vadreen left Pine Prairie, he went on to Orange, Texas, to try to find work in late December 1921. Shortly after arriving in town, Uzabe met Lee Duke, who offered him a ride to Beaumont. Lee told him he would be sure to find work there. Once again, Uzabe asked the driver to pull over so they could smoke a cigarette, and Lee Duke was shot and killed by Uzabe Vadreen, who robbed Duke of 75 cents, a 38 caliber pistol, and a watch. Uzabe Vadreen seemed to have satisfied his urge to kill and returned home to Ville Platte, Louisiana. Back in Texas, a man named Frank Smith was accused of the murder of Lee Duke. He was tried and convicted, 
sentenced to 15 years in Texas State Prison, all the while maintaining he was an innocent man. Now, Yusei Vadrine's periods of moodiness and his days of continuous weeping would come and go for the next few years. But his urge to kill returned in May 1924 when he made the mistake of killing a man close to home in Evangeline Parish. 27-year-old Robert Leo Wiggins was the son of a parish sheriff, Robert Lee Wiggins. Late in the evening on May 19th, 1924, Leo was headed home to the new house he had just built for his new bride. As he was driving through Cypress Woods, he noticed a man walking and pulled over to offer him a ride. It was, after all, someone he knew, a childhood friend, Yuseb Vadrine. Yuseb thanked the young man for the offer and acted as though he was about to get into his car. With a smile on his face, he moved to get into the car as he grabbed his revolver and shot Leo Wiggins. This time, one shot did not kill his victim. Leo continued to move, tried to get out of the car, but Yuseb shot him again and again until he stopped moving. Yuseb dragged Leo's body behind a tree and tried to drive the car off the main road but the car hesitated and died. Yuseb left the scene on foot, and hours later, he remained calm when he encountered a group of men who were discussing the discovery of Leo Wiggins' body. Eyewitnesses said there was a young man wearing a blue serge suit running away from the area where Leo's body had been found. Now, Yuseb did what he had done back in April, 1921. He immediately offered to help with the posse that was organized to search for Leo Wiggins' killer. One thing was different this time around. Bloodhounds were rounded up to help with the search, and those hounds followed the scent from the murder scene right back to the spot where Yuse Vadrine had encountered the group of men discussing the discovery of Leo Wiggins' body. Now, by now, members of the posse had split up. Yuseb had gone home, decided to get some rest before joining up with the group again the next morning. He never expected those bloodhounds would track his scent from that spot in town onto his home and straight to Yuseb's bedroom. When the posse moved in, they noticed a blue serge suit on the floor in Yuseb's bedroom, along with a loaded 38 caliber revolver with cartridges that would be found to match the bullets at Leo Wiggins' crime scene. Yuseb was arrested and initially denied he had anything to do with the murder of Leo Wiggins. But on May 21st, local authorities announced they had a statement in hand signed by Yuseb Vadrine. The Times-Picune printed the confession, which read, I killed Leo Wiggins. I had been drinking. I asked Wiggins for a ride, and as he opened the door of his coupe, I shot him in the breast, and he fell. Then I shot him in the head. I didn't know it was Leo Wiggins until after I had dragged his body behind a tree. I mistook him for an old enemy. Yuseb Vadrine pleaded for mercy for the sake of his mother, saying if he was executed, it would destroy her. 
Authorities had no way of knowing at the time that Sheriff Wiggins' family was not the only family left grieving because Eusebe Vadrine had a desire to kill. Days after Eusebe's arrest in Evangeline Parish, the Lafayette Parish Sheriff arrived in Ville Platte to notify the sheriff that a watch found on Eusebe at the time of his arrest was a match to the watch John Roy had when he was murdered and left on the side of the road. Eusebe's fingerprints were also matched to a set of prints lifted from the Leo Wiggins crime scene, and authorities matched Eusebe's prints to a set of prints lifted from Lee Duke's crime scene outside of Beaumont, Texas. Despite that mystery set of prints, that other man, Frank Smith, was convicted of Mr. Duke's murder and was imprisoned in Texas. When the sheriffs presented this new evidence to Eusebe Vadrine, he maintained his innocence, saying he had killed Leo but was not responsible for these other crimes they asked him about. When asked how he felt after he killed Leo, Eusebe said it made him feel better, like a weight had been lifted. Eusebe Vadrine stood trial for the murder of Leo Wiggins on June 29, 1924. The weekly Ville Platte Gazette noted that on the day the trial started, Vadrine was visibly trembling as he entered the courtroom. The author speculated that sleepless nights and perhaps the fear of the rope left him in such a state. Vadrine pleaded not guilty, argued insanity at the advice of his court-appointed defense attorneys. But Eusebe Vadrine would not allow his defense team to represent him during the court proceedings. He asked for and received the court's permission to represent himself when court was in session. Eusebe Vadrine was convinced that he would get life in prison for his crime. He directly addressed the jury to explain he had been out of his mind, fueled by alcoholic rage and a victim of his own unexplainable desire to kill when he shot Leo Wiggins. Eusebe wrapped up his closing argument with a direct plea to the jury, saying, Please save my life. I'm sorry I killed Leo. But the jury felt Leo Wiggins had gotten no mercy, and they would not extend mercy to Eusebe. Ten minutes after the jury started deliberations, they sent word they had reached a verdict. Guilty. When Eusebe Vadrine stood before the court for sentencing, the judge ruled that he would hang for his crime. Eusebe then shocked the court when he begged the judge to give him time to cleanse his soul and write his memoirs, a confession of all of his crimes, to warn young men not to follow his lead. On July 12, 1924, the judge ruled that Eusebe Vadrine would be given a little time to write and ruled that Eusebe would be executed on August 8th. Eusebe spent every waking moment in his jail cell writing a record of his crimes, revealing that over the past three years, he had been responsible for the deaths of five men. He confessed to the murders of Pierre Vadrine, Charles Garbo, John Roy, Lee Duke, and Robert Leo Wiggins in his memoir, The Life of Eusebe Vadrine. As Eusebe wrote the record of his crimes, his defense team worked to save his life. 
They appealed to the court saying Yuseb Badrim was clearly insane and unbalanced and should be in prison for the rest of his life. A lunacy commission was appointed by the judge overseeing the case, and the commission declared Vadrin sane. When informed of the news that his execution was moving forward, Yusei Vadrin said to his attorneys, Well, I guess that's it. The jig's up. Yusei Vadrin was cheerful when he met with his mother, two brothers, and his wife on August 8, 1924, his day of execution. When the time came to leave his cell and head to the gallows, Yuseb appeared calm. Thousands of observers gathered in the courtyard in and around the jail. And it's clear, Yuseb Vadrin liked an audience. When he was in the jail yard being marched towards the scaffold, he paused and was allowed to pose for photographers who wanted to get one last shot of the cold-blooded killer. Yuseb refused to walk on until he heard from photographers that he had posed for the perfect shot and they had taken good photos of him. When he was led to the gallows, he was said to have drawn back his shoulders and smiled as the death mask was drawn down over his face. And just as the sheriff was about to cut the rope and release the trap, Yuseb cried out and asked, for the chance to speak. The sheriff was reluctant, but agreed to lift Yuseb's mask to reveal the face of a man who was moments from death and clearly in an altered state of mind as he was preparing to die. For the next 20 minutes, Yuseb Vadrin was allowed to preach his own funeral sermon. He spoke of regret that he was about to burn in hell his mother and wife would have to live with the shame he had brought upon the family. Yuseb said, When the rope is cut, that will be the end of me. My troubles will be over. My mother's troubles, my wife's troubles, and the grief of human beings I have made widows and fatherless will have just begun. This rope now seems easy and kind compared to this dreadful remorse. Maybe the spectacle of my death will heal the hurts. And Yuseb went on to confess he had killed because he couldn't help it, proclaiming, A desire to kill would suddenly take possession of me, and I had to pull out my revolver. I had to kill the first person I saw. If I had known what it really is to pray, I could have found peace somehow. I would have never have harmed anyone. But I'll never find it now, until the trap drops. Yuseb Vadrin, obsessed with self until the end, asked that another photo be taken of him, a photo showing the rope around his neck. The sheriff allowed a photographer to come forward and take the picture. And then Yuseb asked for one more, a final photo showing him smiling. When the photo was taken, the black death mask was once again drawn over Yuseb's head. Before the trap door opened, Yuseb's final words were, Do not gamble, do not drink whiskey. You'll end up like Yuseb Vadrin if you do. The trap sprung at 12.42 p.m., and as one newspaper wrote, the soul of Yuseb Vadrin was swept into hell. At 1.21 p.m., 
the 26-year-old was officially declared dead and his body placed in an open coffin in the jailhouse. For the remainder of the day, thousands of people were allowed to enter the courthouse grounds to see the body of the first person to legally hang in Evangeline Parish. Days after the execution of Eusee Vadrine, the widow of the first man he murdered, Pierre Vadrine, was revealed to have been a prophet of sorts. On August 12th, the Town Talk of Alexandria, Louisiana, published a piece that noted there had been no rain in Ville Platte for weeks. The day after Eusebe had been sentenced to death, Pierre's widow vowed rain would not come until Eusebe was dead and gone, and the parish could be cleansed of his evil. Eusebe was executed on a Friday, and rain fell in the parish that Sunday. On August 16th, the Ville Platte Gazette featured a by-request notice from Eusebe Vadrine's mother and her living sons. It read in part, we wish to publicly thank our neighbors, friends, relatives, and acquaintances who so generously assisted us during the imprisonment, the death, and the burial of our son and brother, Eusebe Vadrine. We also wish to say we hold no animosity or ill feeling against anyone who took part in the trial, conviction, and hanging, whether officers, friends, relatives, or advisors. On the contrary, we entertain the keenest sense of sorrow, regret, and condolences. We hope that there will be no further comment concerning members of the family who were not responsible and not at all in sympathy with the actions of our son and brother. By November 1924, justice was finally carried out for Frank Smith. He had been convicted of murdering Lee Duke and had been in prison in Texas for that murder since 1922. Eusebe Vadrine had written of Smith in his memoir, saying it brought him pleasure to know someone else had been accused of the crime. But in his final statement of confession, Vadrine wrote that Frank Smith was an innocent man who should be free. Local authorities in Texas opened a new investigation and the governor of Texas pardoned Frank Smith. Well, following the execution of Eusebe Vadrine, there was passionate public debate over whether it was proper to publish the memoir of a cold-blooded killer. The Ville Platte Gazette and countless Louisiana newspapers printed op-ed pieces, noting that the broadcasting of Eusebe Vadrine's crimes could in no way suppress crime as Eusebe had argued when he asked the judge for time to record his confession. The op-ed pieces argued that publishing the book would only tell of crime and create a hero out of Eusebe. And there was concern that Eusebe Vadrine's memoir can inspire other criminals to follow his lead. As the Ville Platte Gazette noted, if the aim in the issuance of Vadrine's life of crime was at public uplift, moral welfare, then its projectors should circulate it for free, not commercialize it for its filthy profit. The memoir was indeed published with ads running in some newspapers with details on where you could buy a copy of the thrilling life story of Eusebe Vadrine. The concern over copycat killers was valid, but like Eusebe Vadrine, some kill for the thrill 
and need no guide or memoir to inspire their evil acts. And for the Vadrine family, it may have been in their genes. In April 1937, the Eunice, Louisiana News wrote of the shocking murder of local Evangeline Parish woman Frazina Vizinat. Her common-law husband was a local farmer known as a charming, blue-eyed, dreamy-looking man who had fallen for Frazina, who was still married to another man who would not grant her a divorce. But in April 1937, Frazina's best friend went to the police to ask that they help her find her friend who had not been seen for five days. The sheriff was concerned as well and agreed to look into the matter. He went to the couple's home to question her partner, who initially said he had no idea where the woman was. The sheriff noticed there was blood in the home and what appeared to be a trail of dried blood from the house to a wooded area. The man was arrested but continued to claim his innocence, saying it was blood from a chicken he had killed that he had taken from the house into his backyard. Now, the sheriff pushed this man to confess to what he had done and noted he bore a striking resemblance to another man he had watched hang back in 1924. The man the sheriff was questioning was Melvin Vadrine, a cousin of Eusebe Vadrine. He pushed Melvin and asked if his heart was as dark as the heart of the man he saw swing from the gallows in the parish. And he reminded Melvin he could swing from the gallows too, or confess and maybe earn mercy from the courts. Melvin did eventually confess and he led the sheriff to Frazina's body in a shallow grave near their home. Melvin would confess to her murder three times and had several stories as to what happened to Frazina. He initially said they had argued and he killed her in a fit of rage when he learned she may be leaving him. He then argued that he found her in the woods that day, distraught and unwilling to go on living. He claimed she asked him to shoot her because she was not able to pull the trigger herself. Melvin would testify in court that killing Frazina was a last act of love to help the woman who was in so much pain. But that last act of love, as Melvin Vadrine described it, was carried out with a gun in one hand and their baby in the other. Melvin was holding his 18-month-old child when he shot the child's mother. He confessed to this when he pleaded for mercy at trial, saying he had offered mercy to his suffering Frazina. The prosecution asked for the death penalty, but the jury would convict Melvin Vadrine and recommend life in Angola prison. At sentencing, the judge said the jury had made a mistake and not been brave enough to recommend death. The judge made it clear he would have preferred to see Melvin hang like his cousin Eusebe had back when he was swept away to hell in 1924. Southern Mysteries is created and hosted by me, Shannon Ballard. You can see photos from this episode along with sources in the show notes at southernmysteries.com. And while you're there, you can also support Southern Mysteries. I want to say a special thanks to our newest Southern Mysteries patrons who help make this independent podcast possible. 
Kimberly, and also Rebecca from Flagstaff, Arizona. As members of the show on Patreon, they hear bonus Southern Mystery shorts each month. You can join today at patreon.com slash Southern Mysteries. And remember, another way to support the show that doesn't cost you a dime is by rating and reviewing Southern Mysteries while you're listening now. It helps other people discover it and give it a try. And you can share this episode on your socials just to uh, help spread the word and recommend to friends that they should check out Southern Mysteries. Thanks for that support and thanks so much for listening. 